message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. It's funny, little little insight into the, the life of a preacher. Whenever you know you're going to preach on something, it tends to be the thing that God's like working on you in your life this week. So knowing I was going to speak on patience, I was like extra cautious, you know, like walking around like, okay, I'm, I'm not giving in to that. I'm not going to be impatient this week because I know I'm speaking on patience. So I'm not, you know, like, I'm truly, and we had like a pretty good week, you know, and like, and again, it's not perfect. We have small children, and so there's... But for the most part, I was like, this is a pretty good week. I haven't, like, lost my patience or anything like that. Um, and then Saturday came, yesterday. <laughs> it was, I thought I was, like, home free. You know, I was like, yeah, I made it to Sunday, like, having a really patient week. And then I don't know what happened, um, the devil or something, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it was, like, everything that could have, like, tested my patience, like, did. Uh, whether it was hitting every single red light, the battery died in our van. Um, our kids literally took turns crying for seven hours straight. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, they would tag each other. Like, you're in, your turn. Like, get in there. I'm like, whoa, you're, why are you? And um, it was just, I was watching, because all of us have this, like, amount of patience. And, like, I was just, like, watching mine just, just drain. And, like, I was like, I knew if I got to that point, I was just going to lose it. I'm like, Lord, don't let me get to that point. But it did. So... Um, so it's funny, like, just going, I was like, man, I'm just going to totally do this. But here's, here's the good news um, for me and hopefully for you too. But uh, as I've studied about patience this week, every sermon I've ever heard on patience has been on, like, the virtue of patience. And you just, there's a little bit of, like, this guilt trip where, like, I'm just not really patient enough or I'm not, like, a patient person. But as I've studied scripture, what, what I came across to me this week is, although the Bible has has things to say about us being patient people, the Bible has a ton to say about how God is a patient father. And that's what I was struck with this week. It's not so much the lack of patience that I have, but the abundance of patience God has. And so this morning, you can kind of breathe a little bit easier. The goal is not for us all to feel bad that we're not patient enough. The goal is for us to actually have this awakening to how patient God is with us. Um, And then just the reality, we are way more impatient with ourselves than God is with us. We we beat ourselves up when we fall into that sin, that thought pattern, that thing that we're like, oh, I'm doing it again. I can't believe I did that. It's not who I want to be. We're so hard on ourselves because we think that's going to change us. But what's so funny is that God, who's the master of transformation, is also the God of patience. And he has this this ability to walk with us, walk Jesus walking with his disciples in such a way that if I was Jesus, would have just driven me nuts, like the kind of people he surrounded himself with. I would have lost my patience so many times. And, 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 And here's the amazing thing. We see Jesus be urgent. We see Jesus be direct. But we also see Jesus ultimately be patient with his disciples. And so my hope this morning is that you walk away here with a renewed sense of, man, I know I'm a mess, but I also know God's patient with me. 
He's patient with me on my journey as I continue to be transformed into his likeness, as my heart continues to be renovated. That he's patient with me. And so as I was looking throughout scriptures and I was looking at Jesus' interactions with the disciples, I could not get away from how patient Jesus was with Peter. Because Peter seemed to be the person who would drive anyone nuts the most. Like he just knew how to say things, do things, and you're like, are you kidding me, man? So I thought just for us to feel better, let's exploit Peter this morning and talk about all his failures. I'm serious. We're just gonna look at every, like not everyone, but just some scenarios in his life. You're just like, man, this would have just like made people go crazy, like just lost their patience. But we're gonna watch how this story ends. We're gonna see how Jesus ends the story, not ends the story, but ends his time on earth with Peter. So let's, let's just have a fun little journey here with watching Peter and all of his mess ups. A little highlight reel, if you will. Matthew 14, verse 28. This is Peter on a boat, seeing Jesus across the water. He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, said Jesus. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Matthew 16, verse 21 said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, he raised to life. Listen to verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What a great dude Peter is, right? Rebuking God. Never, Lord, he said, it shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Little pet name. You're a stumbling block to me. You did not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's so funny here is we we look at this harsh, truthful rebuke where where Peter is trying to put comfort in front of the cross, I mean, literally, there's, there's a demonic message within that, and he puts it behind him. And, we, and we're kind of like, well, that's kind of harsh with Peter, but here's, did you know in the same passage, the same moment, Jesus also tells Peter, hey, on you, I'm gonna build my church. You're the rock I'm gonna build my church on. This same guy he called Satan. <laughs> like, he's like, hey, but guess what? You're still the guy. I'm not choosing someone else. You're it. I mean, I love, I love, you know, I love Jesus' kind of like abruptness here. At the same time, his patience that he has with Peter. John 13, 6 says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Matthew 26 I love this one, verse 38. Then he said to him, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Come on, guys, I need you. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Like, he's like, come on, dude. Stick with me here. How about, how about this one? Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, which makes it even worse, you know? Poor Malchus, (laughs) just didn't have an ear. Jesus commands Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I mean, are you guys getting the picture? 
And, and like his, his grand finale of Peter's failures, Matthew 26, verse 74, says, then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. What a gem. You know, what a great guy Peter is. And it's not even like he messes up and he's like, you kind of feel bad for him. Like, you just don't feel bad for the guy because he's such a jerk half the time. He's so just like, I'm going to rebuke you, Jesus. He just has this, I don't know if I imagine, I'd be like, man, like you, you really don't get it. But I love Jesus's constant interaction and grace and invitation to Peter. And so I want to read you one. This is after Jesus has died, risen from the grave. He's appeared to his disciples two times. This is now his third time. And I want you just to, just to take note the, the interaction that Jesus has with this guy who is repeated, repeatedly, for me, would have made me just lose my patience. John 21, verse 1 says, After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan, Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, and at that night they caught nothing. Now, here, here's what's interesting about this statement. A few verses before, Jesus just met with them and literally told them, Go blew his spirit on them. It's like, you would think that would be the start of the church, but no, Peter, after that, decides to be like, I'm going back to fishing. He, he's lost patience with himself. He, he's, he's done. He's like, I, I'm gonna go back to what I know. Like, I'm glad Jesus rose from the dead and everything, but I cannot be the guy. Verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, probably because it was still dark outside. He called out to them, friends, have you, have you any fish? Which is funny here in the Greek, the word friends means like little child. Like, hey, little boys. And then the word fish here literally means a small fish made for relish, like an anchovy or something like that. So here's Jesus on the shore. So good. He's like, hey, little boys, have you caught any anchovies today? And no. No. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's, who's John, he's, that's the title he gave himself, brilliant, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, apparently he was fishing naked, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, but a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught, which is also funny because they didn't catch any fish. He did, right? So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was, it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Let's just stop right here. There's something going on here. There's a picture that's happening. 
So they go back to their old way, their old life, and they are unsuccessful. Hey, little boys, you catch, catch any minnows today, right? Any anchovies? No, we did it. Pulls it, says, go on the other side. And they pull the, the, such this large cast. And can you imagine Peter being like, this sounds familiar. This feels familiar. This felt like his calling. Like nothing had ever changed. And so they bring in, and John notes there's 153 fish. Now, two things that scholars point out. Number one, it's an eyewitness thing. They, they counted the fish. John knew how many fish there were. But the second thing that's really interesting is that Jerome, who's a historian at that time, recorded, and obviously incorrectly, but in his mind, that in the Sea of Galilee, there are 153 types of species of fish. So when John records there's 153 fish, a common idea in that age is that's the amount of species there are in the water, which most scholars would believe that John is referencing, ultimately, that Jesus is pointing to, hey, the fish you're going to get is bigger than you ever could have imagined. Not just the amount, but the types of people, the ethnicities, the cultures, the nations. I'm here for them. These are the fish that you're going to catch. Which, by the way, becomes a repeated message for Peter, even in through the book of Acts. Because you think it's for these people, it's for everyone. And so as they come to the, as they come to the store, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast, which is why I love Jesus. Man, after my own heart. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples and he was raised from the dead. He then goes on, just to paraphrase it, he then goes on to have a conversation at this breakfast with Peter where he asks him three times, do you love me? And across the board, theologians just agree that Jesus is restoring Peter's three betrayals. And so three times, he says, do you love me? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And he ends it with the phrase, follow me. I mean, do you see the patience of Jesus with someone like Peter? I mean, and, and all of us have our moments, but I don't know if many of us have, have had such a blatant, rebellious, betraying posture towards Jesus like Peter did and for us to walk away this morning understanding that our central theme this morning is that we serve a God who is so patient with us how many are just thankful for that today I'm so grateful the God that I serve doesn't treat me how I would treat myself but he, he walks with me, he's patient with me. I, I just wanted to read you a verse, one of the last verses that Peter ever writes. This is a letter that he's writing to the church that he pastors. At the end, right before he's martyred, he writes these words, and I can't help but thinking that these came from experience, not from just an idea. Second Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. We'll get to Paul in a minute here, but do you hear the words that Peter writes his church? He says, listen, 
And by the way, this church is under heavy persecution and their cry is, Jesus, where are you? Why aren't you answering our prayers? And Peter tells them out of his own experiences, like, hey, listen, the the patience of the Lord is salvation. It's the patience of God so that as many as possible can reach repentance. We serve such a patient God. So my friends, I want to just take the last few moments of this morning and just to go over five observations. Because we've now understood or understand better how patient Jesus is, just, just some thoughts around the idea of patience. Number one is the central theme. Jesus is patient with us. Number two, if Jesus is patient with us, we can be patient with ourselves. Number three, because Jesus is patient with us, we can be patient with others. Number four, because Jesus has been patient with us, we can patiently wait on his Holy Spirit. And number five, because Jesus has been patient with us, we can patiently wait on his return. Let's walk through these five points. Number one, Jesus is patient with us. I know we talked a lot about Peter, but let's just talk about another example here. Let's talk about Paul. He used to be named Saul. Under the name Saul, he was a professional killer of Christians, Uh, Many of you guys know this. He made his living at this point finding, imprisoning, and murdering uh, people who followed Jesus as the Messiah. Until one day, Paul, on the way to go round up some more Christians, meets the resurrected, patient Jesus who does not end his life, but changes his life. Gives him a new one and invites him into his mission, into his work, So I want you to think about that, that Paul, as he writes to his young disciple Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 16, he says, formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy for this reason. So the whole conversion of Paul, here's the reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul just said that the reason for his conversion, the reason for the mercy of God in his life is that he would be a living example of the patience of God. That was was the point, is that he would be a testament for other people for generations to come, that we serve a God who is not quick to anger, but slow to anger. Who's compassionate and full of mercy, who's patient with our wandering hearts. The, the, the older I get, the more I study the scriptures, the less alarmed I am when I hear of people, uh, for lack of a better word, backsliding or walking away from God. And, and the reason isn't that I, I'm not concerned for their heart or their well-being, is because I just know how patient God is. I know how fickle we are and rebellious I can be, but I've just come to know by experiencing through the scriptures that, man, God is not worried because he's so patient. He's so patient with us, the way he's patient with Paul, the way he's patient with Peter. Paul, in another letter in 2 Thessalonians, says, may the Lord direct your hearts, love this, he's moving our hearts, he's directing our hearts towards two things, the love of God and to the patient endurance of Christ. This is our movement This is what God's moving us towards, understanding God's love and his patience displayed through Jesus. 
So because of that, point one, because Jesus is patient with us, I would love for us to walk away also with the realization we are allowed to be patient with ourselves. And, and patience is not apathy. Patience is not like, well, like, you know, I'm, I'm okay not changing or I'm not okay not transforming. No, no. Patience is just the reality that our change is slow. I love that in a couple weeks ago we talked about Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, and that the fruit of the Spirit is talked about like a tree, not a weed. The trees, fruit trees, not only take a few months, but they actually take multiple seasons to actually get to a place where they're bearing good fruit. It says, it's, you're like that. The Spirit's work, the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in your life is like a tree. It takes time. John Orberg says, has a quote, it says, biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. You see, patience with within ourselves is not just something that we like have to deal with. It's actually the, the fertilizer God uses to change in us. And so what that means is because we have this model of how Jesus interacts with us, and again, and it's not slow, it's real change. So oftentimes, if you can change quickly, it's not lasting. But if we start to understand God's patient, persistent work in our life through the Holy Spirit, we begin to stop trying to beat ourselves up into goodness. Anyone else? Like you just make yourself feel bad enough, then I'll be good. It does not work. That's why in Romans it says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, which is a nod to the Hebrew word hased, loving kindness, which also can mean steadfastness. It's this patient word. It's a love that does not stop or grow weary. That's what changes us. Number three, because of Jesus' patience with us, we can be patient with others. And so, yes, we are gonna take a moment to talk about how we interact with our other people around us. Ephesians 4.2 says, be always humble, gentle, and patient. Yes, always patient. Show your love by being tolerant with one another. Proverbs 15.18 says, hot tempers cause arguments, but patience brings peace. And again, this is what I want to get. There are certain personality types that like, they just lend to just feeling more patient. And some, of the, and some of us who just feel like we don't have that personality type, we're like, oh, must be nice. Yeah, I'd love to be patient. I'm just not wired that way. The Bible's pretty clear that, that patience is not just a gift for some. It's a command for all, all of us. And it doesn't mean if, you know, like I have Irish blood in me, I get it. Like I, my, my blood can boil a little bit. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are, where you're coming from, your personality type, what you are in the Enneagram. Does it, all of that stuff is, is a part of who you are, but that does not mean that we have all encountered the patience of God. And when we encounter the patience of God, that begins to start changing how we interact, even with toddlers, Benji. So even with my own children, the spaces where we feel most free to be ourselves, would we also have those be the places where we ask God to bring about the most change. That we can be patient with the people that we love. So number four, we can patiently wait on the Holy Spirit. Again, today's Pentecost. And Pentecost came as a result of the people waiting on God. 
I don't know about you, but I think we just need to be honest. We are terrible at waiting for anything. We, it's, it's, it's like we've replaced patience with efficiency. Because we can be efficient as a culture, we have no need for patience anymore. Patience was for the agrarian culture. You had to be patient waiting for the rains, things like this. But do you think, it, do you think it's on accident that God talks about agriculture, about people and family structure. He says, I'm like that. And I think in a, in a world that's been changed because of the industrial res- revolution, the technological revolution, that we are so efficient that we are, we've lost the art and the depth of patience, the gift of patience. And so even in our walk with God, if I can just encourage you with something, in your times with God, and this is out of my own encouragement to me, would you build in waiting? Build in just stopping. I love the Lectio Divina journals that we do every six months. We're about to have another run uh, come July 1st, which is gonna be exciting. The very first thing it tells you to do is, is, is contemplation. It's just take 60 seconds and wait. I just don't even read the word anymore. I just go immediately, okay, what do I need to read today? And recently I feel like the Lord says, no, 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 stop. Before you read the word of God, be with God. Let the Holy Spirit still your heart a little bit, still your thoughts and your mind because what you're about to read is so important that you can't just digest it and spit it out. It was meant for you to have in you and to savor and to change you and to nourish you. And that happens when we live a lifestyle of being patiently waiting on God. And lastly, which I think goes hand in hand, as we wait for the Holy Spirit, we also were living in a constant state of waiting on Jesus' return. And I think for those of us in the room who've experienced a tremendous amount of suffering, this day is especially dear to us. When will everything be made right? When will the suffering end? And we wait. And in, in this moment that James talks to his church, who again is under severe persecution, people are losing their lives, and he also says, you also must be patient. I love this. Keep your hopes high, for the day of the Lord is coming near. So as we wait, we, we don't know, right? We don't know if it's tomorrow or the next day. I, I tend um, to not live urgently. I tend to not think about like, hey, Jesus could come tomorrow. I just doesn't, I, I, and it probably should more. But I tend to have this thing of like, man, it's, just, it's gonna be really long. But the two things, would we, would we live with the urgency that is coming tomorrow, but would we live with the patience that it might be a long way off? We need both of those. And, and I just wanted to we're going to take some time ending the service doing what we're just talking about, just waiting on God, letting the Holy Spirit meet us with us. I want to read you this, this quote by Charles Spurgeon. If the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all they that wait for him. Son, he is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, and 
endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been awaiting people. Would you bow your heads with me? This message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com.